Hi, saints. Welcome to another episode of Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., here to help you grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. Today's message is part two of a two-part series entitled, The Christian's Position in Christ. Many Christians are ignorant in the promises of God because they are not aware of who they are in Christ. So sit back, relax, take notes, and let's continue to learn who you are in Christ. All right, saints, welcome back. We are continuing in this two-part series entitled The Christian's Position in Christ. I am reading from the traditional King James Version. Unless I indicate other, otherwise, all scriptures I will be reading is from the traditional King James Version. So last time I mentioned that uh, Jesus said that he came that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. That's in John 10, 10. Now, when you learn how to live in terms of the word of God, you will experience that abundant life. Now, let's continue in Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, in this, this verse, we have a profound statement concerning salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Grace, in its simplest definition, means God's unmerited favor. It is simply God granting to us something we do not deserve. Something we have not earned or something we cannot claim as being ours on our own, no matter what we have done. Grace is something that is given to us without our having to do anything to receive it. Saved through faith. Faith is the key to salvation, saints. Faith is the key to activating God's grace. Faith is the key that brings a, a man, woman, boy, or girl into a right and, and proper relationship with the Almighty God through his son, Jesus Christ. There is a fallacy that has been promulgated through the years, which fosters the idea that God is the father of all mankind. This doctrine stems from a philosophy that is based on the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Now, I taught a series on this. Um, I think it was the series about a new covenant with better promises. Now, the Bible promotes no such doctrine, saints. No such doctrine whatsoever. You are not my brother unless we are in the same family. The fact that we are all God's creation does not make us all God's children. Now, the Bible says God created the mountains, the earth and, and uh, uh, vegetation. But the vegetation is not a child of God and the mountains are not his children. Just because God created you does not make you his child. In order to become his child, you have to be adopted into his family. That is what Paul is talking about here. Now, in Ephesians 2, 8, when he says, for by grace are ye saved, you may think you do not need to be saved. According to God, you do, because according to God, you are spiritually dead. 
you are cut off from him and you cannot become a member of his family unless you have accepted his method of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And I know some people don't like to hear this because they think Jesus is a religion and he's an option. He is not an option. He is the only option, saints. It does not make any difference whether you like it or not. That is just the way it is. Now, we need to remember that this is God's game. It is his ball and his bat. And if you want to be on the team, you are going to have to play by his rules, saints. Now, because this business concerning salvation is so important, I want to cover some, some other scriptures to establish the fact that we, speaking of all mankind, are not automatically the children of God just because we are born into the world. Now, some people are going to be disappointed in the end because they think that they can play the game by their own rules and God has to accept anything they do as long as it is in a category they label as good deeds. The scriptures show, show us, however, that this is not the way the scripture is written. It's not. Now, the organized church through its pastors and ministers is supposed to tell the people the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth saints. And unfortunately they are not, they are not supposed to tell people only what they want to hear. They are supposed to tell them what they need to know. You need to know that you are either in the family of God or you are not. You need to know that you are either saved or you are lost. You need to know that you have either been born again or not been born again. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral territory. Now let's look at John chapter one, verse six through nine. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this is talking about John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light referring to Jesus, uh, my friends, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, notice that the apostle John says that was the true light. The only time you use the word true is when you want to distinguish it from false. The very fact that he says true light implies that there is a false light. There are many people today who are following that false light. Oh, and it hurts my heart. It really does. You ought to know whether what you are believing is true or not. If you do not know this, you have no business believing it. If you think it is true, then you ought to prove it. When you find out that it is true, then hold on to it. And if you find out that it is not true, then get rid of it. It is just that simple. There is a true light. And there is a false light, saints. And if you have to ask, well, how do you know what is true? Then you do not have the truth. Because if you had it, you would not have to ask whether or not it's true. Now, there is a true light and there is a false light. And if you have to ask, hmm, saints, I'm telling you, if the truth is in you, you will never have to ask someone whether or not it's true or not. Just like you know. Or oh, I will use myself. My name is Kamala. 
And there's no question about that. Someone can come up to me and tell me that's not my real name all they want to. But I know my name is Kamala. That was the name given to me at birth by my mother. And no stranger can come to me and tell me that that is not my name. And this is the same way we have to be as it relates to the word of God. Don't let someone come and tell you something contrary to what was written for us to follow over 2000 years ago. Someone 2000 years out cannot come to you and start telling you something new. The reason God left all these scriptures here was because he did not want us to be deceived because deception was prevalent back in the biblical days. People were being deceived all kinds of ways. And God said, wait a minute, I got to change this. I have to change this. Now let's look at John 1, 10 and 12. He was in the world and the world was made by him. Still talking about Jesus. And the world knew him not. He came into his own, meaning the nation of Israel. And his own received him not. But as many as received him. To them gave he power, meaning the authority, the right, or the privilege, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, you may have heard it before I have to explain it. The word become implies that whatever you become, you were not that before you became that, or you would not have to become that, okay? If God had to give us the power, us meaning those who received Jesus by the faith, that we are talking about in the second chapter of Ephesians or the authority or the right or the privilege to become the sons of God, then it is obvious that before he gave us that right, saints, we must not have been his sons. This lets us know that everyone is not automatically a child of God. It is written in black and white. It is plain and simple. So don't be deceived when someone tells you, oh, we all are children of God. No, we're not. There's another God out there with a little G. His name is Satan. So make sure that they are not referring to you being a child of the little G. OK, but only those who receive him are given this authority, this right or this privilege. If you have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, guess what? You are not a child of God. And now don't get upset with me. Don't get uptight with me, saints. <laughs> I did not write the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote it through anointed men of God. And if you do not like it, you can change it. In fact, you are the only one who can. All you have to do is to receive Jesus. Then you are automatically a child of God. And it is just that simple. There is no other way. You can't go through a back door, a side door, through the roof, uh, from underneath. You have to come through the front door and Jesus is the front door. So how do you receive him? By faith. How do you receive any truth that you cannot automatically or, or actually physically see or, or touch? By faith. We see then that when it says in the eighth verse of the second chapter of Ephesians, for by grace are ye saved through faith. This is talking about those who have received Christ. That is what salvation is all about. It is about receiving Christ. It is, it, it is more than just believing in him. There are many people who say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? That's what I say. And they say, you know, I believe he lived. Uh, or they'll say, I believe that he came 
2,000 years ago to the earth. Or you may hear someone say, I believe that he died on the cross. Or, or I believe that he went into the grave for three days and three nights. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he went back to heaven. I believe that he is coming again. Yes, but have you accepted him as your personal savior and Lord? No, then you are going to hell and you are going to miss out on the kingdom of God. Now let's look at Ephesians 2 and 8 again. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now Paul is saying that Jesus himself is a gift to us. And when we receive him as Savior and Lord, we receive salvation. You do not have to pay for this gift. There is nothing you can do to earn it. And you cannot be good enough to receive it on your own merit. Many people do not understand that. They think, well, I, I, you know, I'm not so bad. I don't get drunk. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. You know, I don't gamble up all my rent money. I, I, I don't, you know, roam the streets at night and sleeping with uh, people I don't know and sleeping around with uh, another person's husband or wife. You know, it is true that I don't go to church and I have not accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord, but I am just as good as some of those people who do go to church. And my friend, you probably are. But I need to tell you this. That is not what gets you saved. It is not a matter of doing this or not doing that that gets you saved. If you slid out of your mother's womb into the arms of a nurse in a delivery room and she immediately took you and placed you in the nursery and you stayed there for the rest of your life without ever going outside and you never did or thought anything bad at the end, you will still go to hell. And I'm trying to get you to understand uh, how important accepted Je accepting Jesus is. Now, someone might say, well, I, I can't believe that. And guess what? You don't have to. That does not make any sense to a lot of people. The only reason you cannot believe this is because you are missing the whole point. You think that salvation is a matter of what a person does, but it is not. That's what I'm trying to communicate. It's not. Salvation is the gift of God. When a gift is involved, there is nothing you can do to merit it. If you do anything to earn it, it ceases to be a gift and it becomes a wage or something you have merited. The only thing you can do with the gift is either to accept it or reject it. Not only is salvation a gift, but the faith by which or through which you get the salvation is also a gift. In other words, God has to give you that faith. How does God give it to you? He gives it to you by the preaching of the word. Let's look at Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, that is why ministers must must preach the word, saints. I know some have thought that preachers role that, you know, the preacher's role is basically to entertain you. And there are some who do that. I have seen some who put on a pretty good show, my friends. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I was saying shame on them. Boy, the devil is a liar. However, the purpose of the verbal proclamation of God's word is so that faith can come so that people can receive knowledge concerning salvation. The most needful thing that a man, woman, boy or girl can do is get saved. 
Now, I don't know how salvation works, but there is something about verbally speaking God's word that brings faith. That is the way God has designed the system and we can't change it. Have you noticed that God has designed a system in the uh, vegetable kingdom so that vegetables come forth by planting of seeds? And he has designed a system so that trees and plants grow as, as a result of those seeds. He also designed a system relative to his word so that faith has, uh, so that faith, his faith, which is a gift will come when his word is planted in the human heart, meaning the human spirit. Now that is the reason why it is necessary for you to be careful about what you hear, because what you hear will affect your faith either in a positive or negative way. That is the reason why many Christians do not have any more faith than they have because they are listening to a bunch of noise and there is no faith coming from that. Then they, are, they often wonder why, or after they have heard someone preach, they are still so empty on the inside and do not have any real joy or peace in their lives. You cannot get peace from noise or someone yelling and running up and down the aisles because noise does not minister to the spirit man. All any minister has to do is proclaim the word, but you have to decide what you are going to do with it. You can accept it or reject it. The choice is yours, saints. No one can make you receive the word of God, not even God himself. He will put the word or uh, put, uh, put out there for you to say, here it is. You know, take it or leave it. It is all up to you, saints. You can walk away from it, but if you do, you will never be able to say you did not have an opportunity to receive God's word. You will never be able to, to say that. That's why I preach the truth. I rightly divide the truth because once you hear it from me, you will never be able to say you didn't hear it. Mm -mm. You will never be able to say you didn't hear it. Now, the very fact that Romans 10, 17 says faith cometh means that faith was not there before. And that and, and that is why it comes. So so that can be there so that it can be there. I'm sorry. Now. It is up to you to do something about it, saints. You will not get faith by reading the Bible. Nope. You will get information. Uh-huh. You will get knowledge, but you will not get faith by reading. That is not the way God has designed the system to work. He has designed it so that faith comes by hearing. Someone might say, well, uh, well what if you can't hear? Don't now, and I say this, don't you think God knows that you can't hear? Do you think God would penalize someone because he cannot hear? God would take care of that person in some way. You know, a minority of people cannot hear. God would take care of those people. He is not going to hold anyone who cannot hear accountable, but he will hold those who can hear accountable. Some people are always argued about, well, I just don't know about this Christianity business. I don't know how, how God uh, could love the world. What about all those people over there in the jungles who have never heard about Jesus? I've had this question posed to me, saints, and I'm here to say that is not your problem. Don't you think God knows where those, those folks are in the jungle? He will take care of them. You are responsible for taking care of you. You are responsible 
And, and your responsibility is to deal with the truth that comes to you. You can rest assured of one thing, that the judge of all the earth will do right. And if the man in the jungle dies before he has heard the word, God will um, or has taken care of him in some way. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We serve a fair God. Trust what I'm telling you. Notice that it does not say, so then faith cometh by having heard. Did you get that? This is an excuse that people try to drum up by saying, well, I went to church last Easter and I heard. No, it does not say faith comes by having heard, meaning past tense. It says faith comes by hearing, present tense, continuum, ad infinitum. That implies an ongoing process forever. Now, you may have been exposed to something, but that does not mean you heard it. Did you ever tell something to someone and, and they did not hear what you said? It happens all the time to me. You know, you were looking at him or her in the eye and, and later on you reminded him or her about it. And then um, it, you look at him and, and, and say, hey, didn't I tell you such and such? And then they look at you it, with a surprised look on their face. And, and then they say, you did? I, I, I'm sorry. That person did not hear a thing that you said because he or she was not listening to you. Okay. Now, Jesus said, take heed what you hear in Mark 4, 24. Now, why did he say that? Because what you hear is going to affect your faith. That's why. That is why Jesus also said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the gospel is the good news about God's great love for mankind. It is God's good news about the fact that a person can have his sins blotted out, washed away, and he can become a child of God. It is the good news that a person can be set free from the prison house of degradation. Oh, yes, that's the good news, saints. Since we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, if we do not go and preach the gospel to every creature, then every creature is not going to hear. And if people do not hear, faith is not coming, saints. It's not going to come. And if faith does not come, they cannot believe. And if they cannot believe, they are going to hell. Now, when the gospel is preached, faith will come. And when it does, the unsaved can exercise their wills and receive the salvation that follows on the heels of God's word being preached. Now, let's look at Ephesians 2 and 8 again. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Hmm. Let's pinpoint this truth because many people have been confused on this issue. I know I was for a long time. You know, I thought that salvation had to do with the way I felt. I thought I had to have a, a salvation feeling, quote unquote. But notice that this verse says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not by feeling, not by emotion, not by experience, but by faith. Feelings, emotions, and experience have nothing at all to do with your becoming a child of God. Now, you may experience feelings at, at, at the moment when you receive salvation. And, and I did. I felt a change in my heart. But uh, do not make the mistake of determining the validity 
of that salvation by virtue of the fact that you either have or you, you do not have a feeling. That is where many people have gotten all confused. I know it had me confused. I tell you this. Now, I was trying uh, to base my relationship with God and my encounter with Jesus on some kind of emotional experience of some kind uh, or some kind of feeling. When all the time the Bible very plainly says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not by feeling, saints. Faith means taking God at his word. If God said it, that settles it. You know, I believe it. And, and that is that. Faith does not have anything to do with your feelings. If you get feelings, you know, count them as, as fringe benefits. But when I work on a job, I do not work for the fringe benefits. I work for the paycheck. Now, if you have some fringe benefits coming along with the paycheck, you know, um, you will have those too. But when payday comes, I am not going to settle for fringe benefits. Okay. Now I'll take the, uh, un uncompromising word of God every time in, in place of feelings. When you are standing in the center of the intersections of life and Satan is coming in like a flood by bringing cancer or, or some other sickness or disease or poverty and fear against you, you had better know more than shouting. You had better know, uh, you know, how to take the word of God and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, devil, and, and have the word of God coming out of your spirit and, and through your mouth. You cannot go by feelings all the time. That is one of the reasons why some couples have problems in their marriages. Now, romanticism is real, saints. And it has its place, but you have to grow from that into a, a mature, loving relationship that is based on more than just a palpitating heart, you know, hugging and kissing and holding hands. The things of God uh, develop in, in our lives in a similar fashion. There will always be the explosive power of the newfound affection, like a bomb going off and, and, and it will be glorious, <laughs> I'm sure. But if you use those feelings as your guide and say, I know that I am saved because I feel like this, then when the day comes that you do not feel like that, you will start wondering, am I really saved? There are many people who go up and down this way all of their lives. The word says the same thing on Monday that it does on Tuesday, that it does on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It says the same thing on Easter Sunday. Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Mother's Day, and on your birthday. The word of God stays the same. It never changes. When you base your faith on the word of God, you will always be up and never down because the word is always the same. In fact, your relationship with the Lord should develop to such a place that you do not even have to think about it. As long as you find yourself wondering, am I saved or not? You are in trouble. Such thinking will keep you off balance. But when you get to the point, when you do not think about it, you will have a firmer foundation on which to develop your spiritual life. Now, summarizing what we have, we have covered thus far, Paul says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, salvation is a gift. Jesus is a gift. 
but so is the faith by which you procure that salvation. It is a gift and it is brought to you by the preaching of the word. When the word comes, faith comes. When faith comes, you can exercise your will to receive or reject Christ. We can see this principle demonstrated clearly in the 10th chapter of Romans. Let's look at Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee or near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation is simply a matter of you exercising your will in line with the clearly revealed word of God, saints. We can't add to that. You can't add to God's salvation. God's salvation is simply a verse away. Just a couple of words away. It is not a feeling. It has nothing to do with feelings. It only has to do with God's word. Now notice it does not say anything about if thou shalt stand on your head or, or hang from the chandeliers or roll down the aisle, running up and down the aisle, screaming and shouting or, or have goosebumps running up and down your spine or green lights flashing off and on. No, Paul said, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That separates the wheat from the chaff, saints. You have to get to the point when you are willing and able to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe in him. I accept him as the Lord of my life. Now, Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty four. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And I'm here telling you this. Jesus knows, honey, if you are telling the truth or if you are lying. So if what you believe is in your heart, it will come out of your mouth. And if it is not coming out of your mouth, you must not have it in your heart. Because if you are believing in your heart and saying what you believe with your mouth, it is going to show up in what you do, in what you say, and in, 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 in the way you live. And people are going to know it. Let's uh, look at Ephesians 2 and 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot do anything to earn salvation, saints. There are some churches that teach that women cannot get saved with makeup on. Oh, yes, silence for reflection. Uh, this, I'm telling you, this is out there. It is out there and it is taking over. And that it is false teaching. They have, <laughs> they say that female members, you have to take that lipstick off before God will, or God will not save you with the lipstick on. Did you hear what I just said? It's being told to people. And now look, I'm aware that false teachers are out there. Jesus said it, you know, part of my ministry is to expose false teachers. But what I am baffled about and just can't comprehend is that people are sitting there listening and receiving it. That's what I can't comprehend. You know, this is ridiculous. 
Yet there are some churches that are very strict concerning women wearing makeup. They tell their female members, no, you cannot be filled with the spirit with all that paint on. You have to take all that makeup off. Now, where's that scripture? My Lord, where's that scripture? Now, it would be funny if it were not so pathetic. Paul says not of works. It is a matter of faith, not of works, not of of your makeup. God does not care whether you have lipstick on or, or whether you do not. He is not concerned with how you dress your face up. Rather, he is focused on what you are believing in your heart, what you are receiving in your spirit. That is what concerns God. Personally, I believe, you know, women look better with makeup on. I personally don't wear makeup, but I do wear lipstick at times. And um, I believe that, you know, makeup enhances the beauty of, of us women, those who like to wear it. But people are confused um, regarding so many issues concerning salvation and pleasing God. We have made so many religious rules and regulations regarding what people can or cannot do uh, to serve the Lord. And you people, let me tell y'all something. And you heard it from Dr. Kamala D on Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. No man can tell you how to serve God. Uh-uh. You have your own personal relationship with God. That's why Jesus is a personal savior. But you have to confess him. You have to receive him in your heart. Now, but this is human tradition, not the word of God. Okay, saints? I have never seen any holy person order a car from the factory and tell the manufacturer, do not put any paint on it. I want to leave the car in its natural metal, you know, color. No, they always get their cars with some type of, of, of paint, the color of their choice. I have not seen many people, particularly in uh, this society, who wear clothes that have the undyed natural color of their fabrics. There's usually some kind of pattern or, or color on the material. Yet some of these same people who look down on ladies who wear makeup, uh, accept God to, uh, uh, or expect God to come into their painted churches, but not into the bodies of women with painted faces. It does not make sense because it is not logical saints. It doesn't make sense because it, it, it's not of God. That's man and his traditions. You know, you don't have to follow that stick with God. There's freedom in God. Okay. There's freedom. You're not saved by, by your makeup. My goodness. All these things about not doing this or not doing that are really attempts on the part of people to work their way up to God. Do you not, you know what, do you know what that is called? It is called religion. Jesus died to, to deliver us from religion so that we can have a personal relationship with God, not through works, not, not through things we do or don't do. The Bible very clearly states man look it on the outward appearance, but the Lord look it on the heart. And that's in first Samuel 16 and seven. That hasn't changed. God will always look at the heart. He's not looking at how you look on the outside. God looks on the inside of each individual. So what, whatever you do to try and earn your salvation is irrelevant and immaterial. It is a it, it, it's a matter of what Jesus has done and simply accepting his provisions by faith is, is what brings a person into the family of God.
Sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't have to go to church with all those hypocrites. And guess what? You don't have to go to church to be saved. And the church is filled with a lot of hypocrites. And, um, and, and then, you know, they'll say, I'm doing my good deeds in the community. I'm feeding the hungry. You know, I am clothing the naked and I am housing the poor. I work on this committee and I work on that committee and, and we give this to those people and we give that to these people. And surely God is going to accept me in the end. Now, let me tell y'all something. I must say something that's going to shock you. If mother Teresa, whom I think was one of the biggest philanthropists in on the planet to ever live, if she had not accepted Christ as her personal Lord and Savior in her heart before she left here. Mother Teresa in hell burning. You are not saved by your good deeds. You are saved by what Christ did on that cross and you have to confess and believe it. That's where salvation is. That's about grace. If you are trying to work your way to be saved, you, you will never be saved. And you need to get away from that work thing because grace is not of works. It's a gift. If you are not doing things in line with the word of God, you know, I do not care how many so-called good deeds you do. It will not bring you to salvation. Granted, they may be very good deeds and they may help many people, but it is not what you do that gets you into the kingdom of God, saints. It is what Jesus Christ has already done and your acceptance of what he has done. Is, the, is, is what gets you into heaven. Okay. Now I can't say it any more simple than that. Now let's move to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Now this means that God has programmed into the system the fact that we are to do good works. You know, this truth immediately alerts you to the fact that there are must that, that there must be some bad works, because if there were no bad works, then God would not have to make a distinction by saying good works. Now, that means that some things are good and some things are bad. And that means that you have the opportunity, the privilege and the responsibility to examine your works to find out if they are good or if they are bad. Now, the Bible says that God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, the them in this verse refers to good works. It did not say we would, but it says we should. Unfortunately, there are some Christians, even though they are created in Christ Jesus, who do not do good works. And that is very sad to me. And I know God is hurt by it. I know his spirit is grieved by it. If, if the spirit of God is in them, it is up to us whether we do good or bad. It is a matter of choice, saints. It is easy to do good works once you make up your mind to do them. The hardest part about it is making up your mind. Satan will lie to you and tell you there are more benefits to, to doing bad things, but this is not so. If more benefits came from doing bad things, then God would have created us to do bad things rather than good. Now, let's look at Ephesians 2 and 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, the church at Ephesus was what we uh, would refer to as a Gentile ch church. 
Since the redemption, there are only three groups of people God sees on this earth. Only three saints. I don't care what nobody tell you. You better stick with this word. Jews, Gentiles, and the church of Jesus Christ. That's it. And everyone on this planet belongs to one of these three groups. Now, the church of Jesus Christ is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Because anyone that is not a Jew is a Gentile, okay? Um, and, and they become Christians. That is what they are. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is made up of. Jews and Gentiles. And that equals Christians. Now, the letter to the Ephesians was written primarily to the church, the, the Gentile church at Ephesus. All the letters or all the books which are written in the new, new covenant are written to the body of Christ, to both Jews and Gentiles in the faith. But it so happens that Paul is specifying the Gentiles in this passage. Now, when he says, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles implies that apparently they are not considered Gentiles now. Therefore, they must have been considered something else or Paul will not have said in time past. The statement in time past means a point in time that preceded the present time. Now, once a person accepts Christ as his or her personal savior and Lord, he or she cease to be a Jew or a Gentile and becomes a child of God. Others might refer to this person as a Jew or a Gentile, but God refers to the individual as my son or my daughter or my child. He does not make any distinction as to whether one is a Jew or a Gentile once that person becomes a part of his family. A long time ago, God called a man named Abraham and he made a promise to him. If you follow me, I will make you a father of many nations. Out of you, kings will come. Out of you, a mighty nation shall come. Abraham believed God, followed him, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, out of Abraham came Isaac. Out of Isaac came Jacob. And out of Jacob came the 12 sons or the 12 tribes that eventually became the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Now, the Jews were to be, be God's channel through which his word was to be uh, promulgated throughout the earth. But they, being human, did not always do everything right, just as you and I have not always done everything right. Jesus came out of the pedigree of the Jews. That is why the Jews are known as God's chosen people. Jesus was actually the end of the law, the rules and the regulations the Jews were supposed to follow. Jesus was the end of the, those rules. Now, the law was the schoolmaster to bring the world to Christ. Once the world arrived there, it would not need the schoolmaster anymore. God made a very peculiar covenant with Israel, not, not the Gentiles, with Israel. The sign of that covenant was the sign of a physical circumcision. It was a sign that God made in their flesh. So they would always remember that they had his covenant with, the, with him. Over a period of years, instead of saying the children of Israel or the Hebrews or the Jews, people would refer to them as the circumcision because no one else had th this peculiar relationship with the almighty God. The Jews considered everyone outside of the nation of Israel to be a Gentile 
Therefore, the Jews would refer to the Gentiles as the uncircumcision. You follow me? Now, y'all know I'm, I, I'm an advanced teacher, but uh, if you have your spiritual hats on, you'll be able to follow and understand everything that's, that's written in this Bible and the way I am communicating it. Now, this is what it, it meant in verse um, 11, where it says, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. Now, Ephesians 2 and 12 says this. I'm going to point out um, five factors. That at that time ye were, number one, without Christ. Number two, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Number three, and strangers from the covenants of promise. Hmm. Number four, having no hope. Number five, and without God in the world. Now that is a heavy indictment. The fourth one is absolutely staggering in its import. It says having no hope. Ooh, my Lord. There is no statement that is as earth shattering as that one. When a man, woman, boy or girl gets to the point where it could be said of them that they have no hope. Friend, they are about as far out and as far down as they can ever get. Now, I do not say this in a condemning way, but I say it from the standpoint of God's word. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are without hope. And that is an awesome thing to think about. There is no hope for the world outside of Christ. Mm -mm. Now, do you realize that a man who is without Christ is without God? This blows a hole in the statement about, you know, I do not accept Jesus as my savior and Lord, but I believe in God. You can't. You can't. <laughs> It's, you can't, they, they, they come together. It's a package deal. You can't cause Jesus didn't die on that cross in vain for all, you know, only those who believe in him are saved. Those who are not are condemned already. They are condemned already. Now, according to God and according to the Bible, this statement still renders you hopeless without God. There are many people who are deceived. They are going around talking about, I believe in God, but I, I, I do not go to church and I do not believe in Jesus. I believe he, he was a good man, that, that he was a prophet and that he lived many years ago. But I do not believe that he was the son of God. However, I do believe in God. Now, saints, these people are being deceived and they do not even know it. They may believe in God, but which God? Uh-huh. Which God? We have a lot of gods out here. There's only one God, the father who created the heavens and the earth, the God, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one. Now they may believe in God, but they need to think about which God they are believing in. Because if it's outside of Christ, you are believing in something else. It's something that didn't create the heavens and the earth. You know, there is another one that is called the God of this world. His name is Satan. Okay, he transforms himself into an angel of light so that he can deceive the people into thinking that he is the true living and real God. He has deceived millions. Oh, yes. The Bible teaches that if you do not have Jesus, you do not have God. And it, it, it is not what you think that counts. It is what God thinks that counts. It is what God thinks that matters. No one 
has to be without God, saints. That is why Jesus came. That is the beautiful part about it. God did not leave us in the dark. He made himself available to us through Jesus. And that is the reason the devil fights so tenaciously to keep people away from Christ. Because once you get into Jesus, you will get into God. And once you do that and, and you get knowledge of spiritual things and start walking in the word and walking by the power of the spirit, the devil is finished with his intimidation of your life, saints. Now, let's look at Ephesians uh, 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, meaning near, by the blood of Christ. Now, I say this to anyone who belongs to a so-called Christian religion that denies the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to get out of that place as though it were on fire. Oh, yes, you need to run for the hills. Because it is, it is on fire of hell and it will take you right down to hell with it. You better be careful what, what religious organizations you are following saints, because we are made near by the blood of Jesus, which simply means that Jesus shed his blood to take away our sins. And when we acknowledge and accept that fact and confess him as Lord of our lives, his precious blood brings us into a relationship with the father. Any religion or any school of thought that denies the blood of Jesus is on dangerous ground, saints, and should be avoided at all costs. Okay? You can't ignore the blood of Jesus. You can't put that to the side and then say, I know God. No, you don't. Because he didn't send his son down here to do all that suffering in vain. You either accept it and reject it. Accept it be given eternal life, reject it, and go to hell. There is no middle ground. I don't care what religion is telling you. There is no middle ground. Now let's look at, look at Ephesians 2.14. Uh, for he is our peace, who had made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, in the beginning of, of God's dealings with mankind, there were two groups of people in the earth realm, the Jews and the Gentiles. The law of Moses stood between the two. Jesus brought the Gentiles and the Jews together into one new body, the body of Christ. Jesus tore down the wall that separated the two and brought us together in himself. Let's look at Ephesians 2.15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the, the feud or the estrangement, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain, that is, or two, um, that mean um, of two Gentile and Jew, one new man. So making peace now, um, Ephesians 2 16 says this. Yeah, yeah, let me go straight into that. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, meaning one group, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, notice what Paul says here and that and that he might reconcile both. If Jesus had to reconcile both Jew and Gentile, it is obvious that both must have been estranged or they would not have needed to be reconciled. Um, now. 
look at that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. Now that body is the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, not the buildings that sit on the corners of streets, each one, uh, each with a different name out front, but those of us who have accepted Jesus as savior and Lord. Now the cross is, is where it all started. The empty tomb is where it ends. The reconciling process began at Calvary, excuse me. And it ended with Jesus when Jesus came out of hell or Hades itself picked up his body and went back to heaven. That is the total action of the three days and the three nights. All of that action together is what made this new body. Ephesians 2:17 says, and came and preached peace to which were afar off and to them that were nigh, meaning to them that were near. In Old Testament days, the children of Israel were the closest people to God. Uh, the Gentiles were, were far off. The Bible has already said that we were without hope. We were without Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We had no part in the, co in the covenant. We were far off. That's why I, tell you, I did a whole series on that, a new covenant with better promises. We are not under the covenant that God gave Abraham and uh, the laws that God gave Moses um, or Isaac or Jacob. We are not under that covenant. Our covenant is in the New Testament and the New Testament alone. So that's why I wonder why um, a lot of New Testament Christians are always quoting something from the, the uh, Old Testament. Some of the things written in the Old Testament were written at a particular time for a particular people that was under a particular covenant with God and it had nothing to do with us, nothing whatsoever. Some things that are written in the Old Testament still applies today, some things, but not all. But when we talk about a covenant, like let's say the circumcision, that special seal that um, those who were um, under a covenant with God had, we don't have to be circumcised today. Well, the men don't. If you're circumcised today, it's for a different reason, but not because you are in a covenant with God through uh, um, Abraham and Moses. OK, so I, I thought I would just digress a little bit right there. The spirit led me there. So if Jesus preached the same thing to both of them, guess what? Both of them must have needed uh, what he was preaching, whether they were near or far. Now, God is going um, uh, to do a new thing. He has been doing a new thing for the past 1900 years, creating a new body, the new body of Christ. And every person who accepts Jesus as Savior and Lord becomes an integral part of this new body, both Jews and Gentiles. We are all one in Christ. Now, Ephesians 2.18 says, for through him, we both have have access by one spirit unto the father. Now, this verse confirms what I said earlier about getting to God. It is very clear. For through him, him refers to Jesus. We both have access by one spirit unto the father. If you turn that verse around, it reads, for without him, we do not have access to the father. This confirms that you cannot get to God without Jesus. You just can't do it, saints. I don't care what you do. 
what religion you associate yourself with, it's not going to bring you any closer to God. What it's going to do is bring you closer to man by the rituals and, and, and ordinances that they create so that they can watch you follow their commands. Cause that's what they're doing. You know, you can try every way you want, but it is as Jesus. Oh yes. In effect said anyone who tries to come in any other way, then through the door is the same as a thief and a robber. Now, if you want to read that whole chapter, you go to uh, John 10 and one. Okay. You can't get to God without going through Jesus. Jesus is the door. It's been the door or he has been the door for over 2000 years and it's not changing. And somebody 2000 years out can't come to you with some new information saying, Hey, look, I can, uh, we can get to God this way. Let's do this. Let's follow this religion. Do you know that you can create a new religion today and the government will accept it? Do y'all know that? Cause it's in the constitution that says freedom of religion. God didn't write the constitution by the way man did, but in the constitution, it says freedom of religion. You can create a religion all you want and it will be accepted by our government, the United States of America. Okay. Now let's look at Ephesians two nineteen. Now, therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now I am a citizen and the Bible is my passport. I have a right to be in the kingdom. My documents, which is the word of God, proves it. I am a citizen and so are you if you are in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's why it's so important that you know your position in Christ. Oh my God. If you are not in the family of God, you have no citizenship or rights in the kingdom of God. As citizens of the kingdom, we have a constitution and a bill of rights that guarantee us everything we will ever need and everything that we will ever dare to dream about that is consistent with a godly life. Now, let's look at Ephesians 2 uh, and 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Now there are two temples. One is individual. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The other consists of all Christians who together are a temple. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, not the pastor of the church, not the bishop, bishop of the church. They are overseers, but they are not the chief cornerstone. The church is all about Jesus. All of us who dare to walk by the word, all of us who have received him as our savior and confessed him as Lord of our lives are the temple of God. That is our position in Christ. Okay, saints, the church building is not the temple. Paul is referring to in, in verse 21, God is working in and through us to bring enlightenment to the world. He is in the midst of us by his spirit in the earth realm. And yet God is in me and in you. And we, along with every other Christian throughout the entire world, in whatever age or time they live, are the temple of God collectively. Now, some people still have problems with their lives as Christians. Usually the problem is with the flesh or the body. Now, they may not know what uh, to do with their bodies and, and what not to do with them, 
where to take them and, and where not to take them, what to put in into them and, and what not to put into them. People who have these problems usually don't have any problem whatsoever with their conduct in a church building. However, now I have not seen anyone popping pills in church. I have never seen anyone pull out a pack of cigarettes and light up one in the church. I have never seen anyone stand up and start cursing people out in church. All these things are problems of the flesh. And I have never seen anyone have these problems when they, when they come into the body of Christ inside of a church building. The reason is because people respect the building. Even if they are, are atheists, even if they are uh, agnostics, or even if they are, are from some kind of religious persuasion, 99 out of 100 people will show respect for a church they enter. Mm -hmm. Yet away from a, a corporate collection of Christians and the church structure, some people have all kinds of problems with their flesh, you know, drugs, sex, you know, gambling, uh, temper, cursing and, and have a, a foul mouth. You know, every other word is a cuss word. I've seen people post uh, holy scriptures on social media, then right behind that curse, posting something with cursing in it. Do you hear me? Posting something with cursing in it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just the devil just deceiving people left and right. Now, if, if you respect the building itself, my question is, why can't you respect the temple of God, which is your body? You know, why is it because they have been taught that the church building is to be respected as being the house of God? Is that it? Just as you respect the church structure as a holy place, you ought to be respectful with your body because that is where God really lives. God does not live inside a building. A building is just a building. The only thing that makes it uh, of any value is because we, the body of Christ, are there. When we leave the church building, it is a, it exactly what it looks like. Cement, concrete, wood or or carpet, etc. Now, if Christians control their bodies the way they do in church, they will not have the problems so many of them experience with regard to controlling the actions of their bodies. They treat their bodies as though they were nothing. But our bodies are what Christ paid his life for, saints. Our bodies are what Jesus bled and died for. Our bodies are what they whipped him and beat him for until the flesh came off his back. Our bodies, not a building, are what he came to redeem. Let's look at Ephesians 2 and 22. In whom ye also are built together for an inhabitation of God through the spirit. Now, do you know that God wants to live among us? There are many people who are afraid of God. You start talking about God and they start getting nervous in the service. They do not want to get, get too close to God because he, he represents holiness. I have news for you. Your best friend is God. The reason some people are afraid of him is because they do not really know him. They are going by what they heard someone say, like Job did. You know, contrary to what some people have been taught, God is not interested in hurting anyone. He is not interested in our not having a good time. God wants us to enjoy ourselves. The things about it is that the things some people consider to be good times 
or not proper behaviors. What some folks call having a good time involves illicit sex, you know, drinking and getting drunk, drugs and, and the whole bad scene. God wants us to enjoy life, but there is a way to do so. Sin does not have to be involved in order for someone to have a good time. You know, God wants to live among us. He, you know, he wants to help us, to bless us, to enhance our lives. He, he does not want to stifle us, to take things away from us, but he wants us to get our joy and our good times in the proper focus. I had a, a sister in Christ was talking about, you know, going on a, um, one of those boat trips and uh, was saying, you know, I'm going to live my life to the fullest. And so I said, well, you better make sure that the fullest is in line with God's word, because some people consider to the fullest, you know, going out there and having uh, unprotected sex, you know, committing fornication, adultery and idolatry and hurting people. And um, she was saying, well, no, I ain't trying to hurt nobody on purpose. I said, well, you shouldn't. The intent should never be to hurt anyone. But so my my point is, if you're going to live life to the fullest, make sure you are in line with God's word. Don't try to hurt anyone when you include living life into the fullest. God wants you to enjoy life. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and, and those that dwell there in it. You know, so be careful, you know, enjoy your life. And uh, that saints is your position in Christ. Now stand by for entering into his presence and my closing remarks. Entering into his presence. Come to Jesus when you are hurting and he will soothe your pain. Go to Jesus when you are joyful and he will share in your joy, multiplying it many times over. He is all you need, just when you need it. Your deepest desires find fulfillment in him and him alone. This is the age of self-help. Bookstores abound with books about taking care of number one, making one's self the center of all things. The main goal of these methodologies is to become self-sufficient and confident you, however, have been called to take a road less traveled. Continual dependence on Jesus. True confidence comes from knowing him and knowing you are complete in his presence. Everything you need has its counterpart in him. Now I have three scriptures I would like to share with you. All three are from the New International Version. Scripture number one, Isaiah 49, 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord com comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Scripture number two is John 15, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. And the third and final scripture is James chapter one, verse four. Perseverance must 
finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, my friends, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is the time, my friend, because tomorrow is not promised to you. Religion can't save you. Only Jesus can. If you are ready, I invite you to say this simple prayer with me. Abba Father, I humbly come before you as a sinner. I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And because I confessed and believed this in my heart, your word says, I'm saved. Amen. Now, if you sincerely said that prayer and received every word in your heart, my friend, you have just been adopted into the family of God. You have just been saved by grace. No man can take God's grace from you. Get into a faith-based teaching church so you can learn how to grow in faith and learn how to walk in your newly found grace. Now enjoy life, laugh, love, forgive, and treat everyone with compassion, dignity, and respect. See you next time. enjoyed part two of this two-part series entitled the christian's position in christ i know i was blessed if you have any questions or comments about this message or any past interludes please send your comments questions or prayer requests to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com if you want to support this podcast financially because you feel you are benefiting from these teachings please go to one of my five podcasts Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Radio Public home pages and contribute an amount of your choice. Now, until next time, saints, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. See you next time.